0: Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Shouse in the House. I have with me today former battalion commander, Brad Miller, and I'm so very fortunate that he has given me the time to sit down and talk. And I promised him even before the show, I would try to keep it brief, but I am a girl and that doesn't usually happen. So with that said, I'd like to, for him to kind of introduce himself to you guys. I know him. I know his background. I've watched so many videos and read sub stacks, and I know a lot about this guy, probably more than I should. But I would love for you to take a minute, Brad, to introduce yourself, kind of give a little bit of your background, and then I want to kind of dig with questions. If you don't care,
0: yeah, sure. I mean, thanks so much for having me on. So, um, just to give very a very brief overview as to who I am and you know why people even care to talk to me. Um, so, I am a West Point graduate. So, I graduated from the United States Military Academy in 2003. Um, entered the Army as a lieutenant at the time. And, um, you know, fast forward, went through my career. And then in the summer of 2021, I was a lieutenant colonel at the time. I took command of a battalion within the 101st Airborne Division, for those who might be familiar with that, um, with that unit in, uh, in the Army. So I took command of a battalion in the summer of 2021. And then a couple of months later, the uh, COVID-19 vaccine mandate, you know, vaccine uh, mandate went into effect. Long story short. I refused to comply with the mandate. I also did not want to order my troops to take it against their wishes. Um so I was relieved in October of 2021 and then in the spring of 2022 I submitted my resignation from the army and then completed my time. Actually, you know, um completed the resignation and got out in the fall of 2022, which means I left the army with a total of just over 19 years of active service. So 19 years, three months and 15 days to be exact. I got out September 15th of last year. So about 14 months ago.
1: So I did the math originally when I watched this latest video that you put out and I was like, you were right at about six and a half, like seven months away from retirement status when you made this decision. So let's backtrack a little bit. You went through West Point and graduated, you were an officer. So talk to me about how that feels just in that accomplishment in and of itself. Because you 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 rose through the ranks, I, I would argue, fairly quickly. Like to take over a battalion command, that was, like, I feel like you did that in a fast period of time. Like you escalated. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I would, I would, I would um, maybe word it slightly differently. So I don't know that I necessarily rose um, fast for compared to other battalion commanders. But what I would say is that um, it is quite selective to be a battalion commander. So you have okay, lieutenant yeah, colonels. That's better wording. Yeah. So you you have lieutenant colonels. You obviously you got to make it to lieutenant colonel. But then within your entire cohort of lieutenant colonels, only a certain fraction of those are. Battalion commanders, and, right. And then to be a commander of what we call a tactical battalion. So a battalion that is actually part of a combat unit um, is even further selective. so um, so it wasn't necessarily that I got promoted, you know, early compared to my peers, but what it does mean is that compared to other lieutenant colonels, so so that wider cohort of peers, yeah, I mean, I was in a, a fairly distinctive group, yes.
1: If you were to talk about like how you felt up until 2019 about your career and your service in the military, would you say that you were happy with, with your career? Were you happy with the Army that you served? Or were you already starting to have issues with... I don't, I'm, I want to be careful about how I word this because I don't want to, I don't want to be like gossipy. Like that's not what I'm trying to do. But were you starting to see fractures in senior administration versus like enlisted administration, if that makes sense?
0: Um. Yeah. So, so yeah. So let me, Um. maybe, may, maybe to help those who might be listening, let me explain where I did start to see some fractures. So if I look at my career, how did I feel about my career? I mean, I, I felt like I was having a pretty successful career. Yeah. And when I was, uh, when I was selected to be a battalion commander, I mean, I was very proud of that accomplishment. So in that regard, uh, yeah, I was happy with what I felt like I was achieving for sure. Um, how did I feel about the army as a whole? Well, let me, let me start bigger. Um, by 2019, I already had, a very long list of questions about the government, the government's involvement in, you know, A, B, or C. I mean, we could talk forever about that. So I was already extremely skeptical about the way in which, about the things that the government was involved in to include um, wars or other type of interventionist adventurism across the globe, uh, you know, in a variety of categories, you know, to include war or combat operations of some type. So I was very skeptical about that. So then you come down to the Department of Defense, well, clearly to some degree, at least at the senior levels, the Department of Defense is complicit in that. And I knew that. And I had long suspected that. I just didn't know how bad it was. And I always kind of felt like the military is still a positive organization. It has a positive culture. It is being attacked like the culture of the country. You know, the military is not entirely immune to that, but it's more immune than other sectors of the country. So this is kind of my mindset, you know, pre-COVID, so kind of in 2019. So a lot of questions, a lot of skepticism towards the government, but I, and, and even towards the military to some regard at the, at the very high, you know, upper echelons. Um, generally speaking, I had good bosses throughout my entire career. Uh, with very very few exceptions, and that includes the times in which I worked, you know, fairly closely or fairly directly with, um, you know, with generals. You know, I I worked for a couple of uh, generals, and I I actually admired, you know, most of them. And to some degree, and this may sound weird, to some degree, I still kind of do in some ways. Like I think they're good guys, but even as I say that, I also think that they're total cowards, you know.
1: Yeah, it's interesting when I listen to you speak. You do a really good do- job of distinguishing between the fact that you believe that they are cowards or that they it, they operated with cowardice, but you don't necessarily attribute that to the person. Like you you think their actions were cowardly, but not that and then to some degree some of these people that you've talked about exclusively that they themselves are cowards and how they handled it. So let's talk about COVID. So COVID comes and you have already decided, like you made your decision very early on. I am not going to comply with this. I'm I'm not going to take this shot that you're telling me I'm going to have to take. Now I'm gonna play a little bit of devil's advocate. I've listened to so many of your conversations, your interviews, that kind of stuff. So, cause I, Try to research my guests just a little bit before I have them on. But um I think a lot of people, especially people, you know, outside of the military, like the instant question is, well, they shoot you up with a ton of stuff, you know, anthrax, like whatever. Why didn't you just take the shot? So playing a little bit of devil's advocate. Explain, and I know the answer, but I would like for my audience for you to explain why this particular shot was different for you than all of the other shots that the military makes you take.
0: Yeah, so fantastic question, and I think it's it's completely valid. Um, so I have a lot of skepticism towards vaccines in general, but... Um, and and right now I would tell you that going forward, I don't, I don't plan to take another one, you know, and if I had, a, I don't have any kids, but if I did, if I had a child born right now, I don't know that I would give him any vaccines. Probably not, probably zero. That said, I went through my entire career. I never um, refused a shot until the COVID shot. So, um, you know, I, I took, I don't even know how many vaccines. So, so first of all, I mean, my parents gave me all my childhood vaccines, like, you know, any other person my age. Um, I went to West Point. I took more shots. I entered the army. I would have taken, I mean, I took a flu shot every year. never thought anything about it. Uh, I went to Afghanistan in 2006. I took shots to go to Afghanistan. You know, fast forward, I, um, I served a year in Honduras. I can't remember, but I'm assuming that I took shots before I went to Honduras. I'm pretty sure. And and those would have been different shots than the ones that I took for Afghanistan. You know, I went back to Afghanistan. I took shots again. Then I was stationed in Korea and I had to take a whole new set of shots just because a different region of the world. In 2017, when I got stationed in Korea, I do specifically kind of remember having a dialogue, you know, in my own head where I was like, eh, I'm not sure I really need these. um, And I'm not sure I really want these you know, but that's as far as it went. I didn't refuse them. But with COVID, I was so skeptical about the entire COVID narrative from day one. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll often say, I'm not here to tell anybody that I was the genius that had it all figured out. I'm not saying that at all, but I was skeptical from day one. Uh, I assumed they were lying about everything. So as we progress through 2020, and we get closer to the end of the year and they start talking about this quote unquote vaccine. To me, I was like, Oh, there's no way you're supposed to take this. Like, like this is, you know, I do not trust these people. I think that uh, the the department of defense is comprised at least in the inner core of extremely sinister individuals. And um, I just felt like, no, you're not like, you can't take this. Like this is, what if whatever COVID is? What if that's to set the stage to get people to take the shot? Now I I do think there were a variety of object, of objectives that they tried to accomplish with you know the COVID op, and I call it an op because I think it was kind of an operation that was perpetrated against the United States and against the wider world. But um, yeah, so even as as far back as 2020, by the time we got to the end of the year and they're talking about this uh, vaccine and Operation Warp Speed, etc., no, I was never going to take the shot. I never I never even considered it no matter what.
1: So one of the interesting things that I I at least have heard you mention in a couple of your interviews is that there's a difference between an FDA approved vaccination that you have been required to take up to that point in time versus this emergency use version of, of a vaccine where they're forcing you to take something that technically has not even been through the proper approval process. And
0: yeah. go ahead. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic point. So, um, and a lot of people still to this day do not understand this to include a lot of people in the military, which I think is um, when it comes to senior leaders and those who force these shots on other people, if I'm viewing this as charitably as possible, I can perhaps, um, I can perhaps view their ignorance two years ago as just that, right? right? But now with all the questions, all the red flags that have come out, if you don't if you don't know this kind of bait and switch I'm about ready to explain. If you don't know this now it's because you're being willfully ignorant. You're choosing to not look into it, which means you're a coward because you're choosing not to 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 uh, inform yourself. So um So uh, the Secretary of Defense implemented the mandate on August 24th, 2021. 1 day prior, August 23rd, the FDA had approved a product, which was a Pfizer product. So a lot of people, they hear, oh, the Pfizer shot is approved. And then premised upon that approval, DOD then says, hey, you know what? There's an there's an FDA approved shot so we can mandate. Because the troops can always go take that FDA approved shot. And then if the troops decide they want to go take one of the other, you know, one that's not approved, you know, that's on them, but there is at least an approved shot, you know, for them to take. That was DOD's, you know, their, their supposed reason. Um, The problem is, is that that's not exactly what happened.
1: That's not the the product that was actually approved, right?
0: Correct. So the, so the, the product that was approved, you got kind of the way to think about this is there are kind of two different products that are kind of under the Pfizer umbrella. So you've got this, Comirnaty product, which is basically a ghost product. So it's a Pfizer Comirnaty product, which was never produced, or at least it. some people say it was produced, but it was produced much later. The point is, is that when it was supposedly approved by the FDA on August 23rd, it was not available. It had not been produced. So there was no way in the United States to take it. But people don't realize that there are more than one Pfizer product. The Pfizer product that was available was the Pfizer BioNTech product. So if you were waiting for an FDA approved shot and you hear that the FDA has approved the Pfizer shot and then you're in the military and the next day you're mandated to go take it anyway, you might go to your local clinic on your base and say, hey, I want the Pfizer shot because that one's approved. Well, what they're going to give you is the Pfizer BioNTech product, which is not approved. That is that is not the Pfizer Comirnaty product, which for all intents and purposes, doesn't exist. You, you can't take, but you don't know that. You just think you're taking the Pfizer product. So that was, it's very clear fraud. There, there's intent there to uh mislead people and to misrepresent an unlicensed product as a fully FDA approved product. So I mean there's a it's just like I mean it's complete fraud. So a total, a total bait and switch. Now here's why that's important. So in this scenario, this hypothetical scenario where we've got a soldier who um, goes to the clinic and says, Hey, I want the Pfizer. I want the Pfizer one because that one's approved. I feel that that one is safer, you know? So when he gets that Pfizer BioNTech shot, if he then gets injured and he says, well, you know, I'm going to sue because this is FDA approved, which means ostensibly it went through more thorough vetting. Yeah, but not so fast because you took the Pfizer-BioNTech shot, not the Comirnaty one, which means you took one that is not FDA approved and therefore only remains under emergency use authorization. And so that emergency use authorization means that you, the person who took it, you incur all the risk because you are choosing to take an EUA product. Now, you know, that service member then might say, yeah, but I didn't know. I didn't know that there were two products and I took the one that I thought was FDA approved. And DOD's like, Yep, sucks to be you. I mean, this is literally the situation that that occurred and to some degree is still occurring because people don't know this. They don't know that there were two products and that there was an intentional, um, you know, there was an intentional desire to mislead people there. It was a complete bait and switch.
1: Yeah. And and so, okay. So fast forward just a little bit. Don't go too far through the timeline. And I'm so sorry. I know that you have relayed this story multiple times, but I do think that my audience will benefit from it. Sure. Um, so next step, you have been mandated. You're at a training at uh, Fort Polk at this point, right? Mm,
0: that's when right. This yeah. takes
1: place. So you're at Polk. You're told you're going to have to take the shot. And you're like, I, I'm not taking it. So that's when you notify your commanding officer, not gonna do this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's set the timeline. So um that is largely September that what you're talking about. I spend September at Fort Polk, Louisiana. So I take command June tenth, twenty twenty-one. I am so I'm the commander of a battalion, I'm a lieutenant colonel. My direct boss is a colonel. He's the commander of the brigade. The brigade has multiple battalions within it. it has seven in the case of my brigade, the, the brigade that I was in. So, I mean, from the very beginning, as I was coming into command, I told my brigade commander, my direct boss, hey, sir, just so you know, um, I haven't had this shot. I don't plan to take it. I know people are going to judge me because of that. I accept that, you know? He writes back, hey, got it. Thanks for telling me. All good. This is via email. All good it's not mandatory yet. You're, you're, you're good with me. And to his credit, he never pressured me to take the shot, you know? So in July, this is still pre mandate mandates, not till October, uh, August in July from watching the news and just, just seeing the way the wind is blowing. Like I know that the the mandate is coming. In fact, when I took command in June, I knew I was on borrowed time. I mean, I knew I was going to get fired. Um, You know, command should be a two-year assignment. I knew I would not make it to the end of those two years. Did you
1: know that you were going to get kicked out of the army, essentially? I know you officially submitted your resignation, but you were forced out. So did you know that or did you just think, okay, they'll put me back to lieutenant colonel and I'll I'll serve out my
0: time there? I didn't know, but I thought that it was at least possible that I could kind of like limp along for two years, even if I'd been relieved of command. But that's kind of how I thought about it to myself. I can kind of limp along to the finish line, if you will, and at least make it to twenty. And I, I had pan, I had planned to kind of go past twenty. I had kind of told myself I'll do about if things are going well, and I get promoted one more time to colonel, which was kind of a goal of mine. I kind of told myself, you know, I can do about twenty five years and then and then retire. So, so in July, sorry, of, I didn't mean to
1: interrupt you. All good, all good. So in July curious. of
0: twenty twenty one. You know, I've been in command for a month. I go back to my boss. I see him in person and I tell him, hey, sir, so I know and you know this mandate is going to drop anytime now. And just so you know, my stance has not changed. And he paused for a second. This is in person. He paused for a second and then he says to me, I hope it doesn't come to that. Um, Which I took in a positive light. I think he was saying, I hope for your sake and the sake of your career that, you know, that, you know, that doesn't happen. Um, That's all he said. So then uh, the mandate drops on August 24th, the first week in September, maybe September 10th, right around then, um, I go down to Fort Polk, Louisiana with the whole brigade. So my battalion plus the whole brigade, we're down there for this intense training rotation for a month. I think I came back October 6th, something like that. Anyway, so um, I'm down there and I'm, I'm basically in kind of like an information black hole. So I'm not really paying a lot of attention to the news. We're in this intense uh, training cycle for a month, going through these simulated combat scenarios, but we are post-mandate. So if I was on borrowed time before, now I'm on like extremely borrowed time. And I know that. So I'm down there in this like super stressful training environment, trying to command my battalion. And in the back of my mind, I know that I am potentially days or weeks from being relieved. And I have no idea what that's going to mean for my career, right? So
1: hold on. I um, want to interrupt you really fast to give the audience some context right now. When you were promoted, you moved your entire life to Kentucky. Like you moved to Fort Campbell, you bought a house. So in your personal life, you had, you were committed. Like you made the decision and the move and the change to uproot your life into this essentially foreign place from where you were before. And so that's also weighing on your mind, I'm sure. Like you've you've changed your entire life around for this. And we're what, five months into your promotion and you're already worried about what's going to happen when I get home.
0: Yeah, so so I arrived to so Fort Campbell's in, they we say that it's in Kentucky. It it's really not. It's on in the, Tennessee, on a,
1: but don't yeah, tell it's anybody. On
0: state line. So I I bought yeah. a house on the Tennessee side. I still live there. I live in Tennessee, but I'm like five minutes from the Kentucky state line. Um, but I arrived in June. I bought a house, which I knew was a a, a an extreme risk because I didn't know if I would have a job much longer. You know, which turned out to be true. But um, so so anyway, so we finished this training rotation. But because I'm down there in this training rotation, everything that I just explained to you about the um, the bait and switch between the two different shots, I didn't know any of that. Um, now, I, di- I didn't trust the shot. I did not specifically know about this Modernity and Pfizer BioIntec, you know, bait and switch. I didn't. I didn't know that. I just wasn't going to take the shot. So then we returned from Fort Polk. I think on October 6th. On October 22nd. I am uh suspended from command and then I'm formally relieved on October 28th. And then I would say closer to December, maybe even January of 2022. That's about the time that I, I I realize about the whole bait and switch, which I was not even aware of when I um when I refused the shot. So that just drove home the point that, you know, on top of everything else, on top of this being based on lies, on top of the entire COVID narrative just being, you know. Whatever it is, it's not what they're telling us it is. Um, now it's just very clear that the the order itself is just completely premised upon fraud,
1: so let's talk about when you were informed that you were going to be suspended. And this is where we get into what I would consider fairly gratuitous. like you you're even nice to the people who were cowards. and I have massive amounts of respect for you in the way that you have talked about them and described this because I personally wouldn't be able to carry myself the way that you have. So kudos to you and mad respect for your ability to kind of distinguish between personal and professional. But what was done to you is fucking disgusting. If I'm being a hundred percent honest and the, the cowardice, Across the board, like even your subordinates. I know that you had to have guys that felt the same way that you did. And to say, well, if you fill out a religious exemption, it'll make it easier for you. Or, you know, like, I think one of your one of your guys even asked you, hey, where's yours? Right? Like,
0: that was my boss. That was yeah. the British commander, yeah,
1: yeah, so okay, can you talk about that a little bit like how that communication of of like what your exit actually looked like,
0: yeah, yeah, so this is like super strange, right, so we come back from fort Polk, um so this is in about the two week period between October sixth and october twenty second um that uh that I'm still in command until I get pulled out, so throughout that couple of weeks those couple of weeks what we're doing is um we are going through and we are putting together the packets of those who have officially refused to take the shot and um so it's so I'm in this weird situation where I'm kind of getting pulled in two different directions because it's the army you're always being asked to provide information so that's not that's not unique right um so on the one hand i am like constantly you know, kind of hounding my staff like, hey, do we have this information yet? Because we've got suspenses. We got to send this information up quickly. So we're gathering it from my subordinate units, which are the companies. I have seven companies in the battalion. So I'm getting their packets. My staff at the battalion level is like collecting those packets. You know, I'm taking a look at them, making sure that we have all of them. And then my staff is forwarding them up to the brigade commander staff. So it's super weird because on the one hand, like a good commander, I'm making sure that I'm providing the information that I am obligated to provide on time to my higher headquarters. But on the other hand, I'm providing information about these, um, these refusals of which I am one. So, um, as this is going on, I get a text one afternoon from, from the brigade commander, uh, whose name is Colonel Fedorovich, Colonel Mark Fedorovich. So, um, so Colonel Fedorovich texts me and he's like, Hey Brad, I got your packet. Um. And I got the religious accommodation requests for some of the other packets from your battalion, but where is yours? So I texted him back and I said something like, um, yeah, sir, I, I I decided against submitting one. I, I was going to, I even started the paperwork, but I decided against it because I am against this wholesale and, uh, and I'm not looking for an exception for myself. So my thought on that was just to explain that. So Um, did I, and do I have religious objections to the shot? Yes, of course I do. Just like plenty of other people do. Um, most of those objections center around the, uh, the apparent use of fetal cell lines in the, either the research and, or the production of the shots. So I have those concerns just like a bunch of other people. But for me, that's not my only concern. And if that weren't a concern, I still would never have taken the shots. So for me if that were my only concern it would almost be as if i were conceding the shots are safe the shots are effective the shots are necessary i just don't like how they were produced but that's but that's that's not my conflict with the shots i'm not even going to concede that they're safe effective or necessary so it's almost like i don't even get to the question of how they were produced if that if that kind of makes sense yeah so i was a so i was a hard refusal so i just i never submitted a religious accommodation request. I was like I'm no I'm not I'm not playing this game. I'm not, this I want this rescinded in wholesale and I'm not looking for an exception for me, which I know I wouldn't get, you know, because they only approved like less than 1% of them. But even if I were, okay, great. Now now I've been exempted, but I'm still a battalion commander, so now I'm still obligated to, you know, pass the order down to everybody. Like I'm not going to do that, you know. Right. So, um, so then, you know. I mean, because a good
1: commander, your next response is okay. Now, approve exceptions for all my guys.
0: Right, except that I didn't have that authority. It has to go all the way up. You know, now I could have, I could have written, "Hey, I I recommend approval." You know, but um, but yeah, these things were were going all the way up. Sure, of course. So then, fast forward, and uh, on October twenty second in the morning, um.
1: This is the day you were going to address your guys,
0: right? Yeah, so it's a Friday. So yeah. October 22nd, 2021. Um, I can't remember what morning, but it was early. It was like 830 or so in the morning. So um, roughly. I get a text. It's from uh, Colonel Fedorovich, you know, my boss. Hey, Brad, uh, I've been told I've got to suspend you today. So when he says I've been told, I mean, there's only one place that could have come from. His boss, my boss, two levels up, the division commander. So that would be a two-star general that was um Major General JP McGee. So he was the commander. He's not anymore. He's already he's already moved on to a new assignment, but um he was the commander of the 101st Airborne Division, like the entire division, you know. So uh a two-star general, a major general. So um so I had told my guys, "Hey, on Friday afternoon, I want to address the battalion. Now this is pretty common. We would do this, you know, once or twice a month. Um, it was pretty common that on Fridays when there was not some crazy training going on, we would try to release the guys early, especially if the week had been pretty hectic. So that was pretty common. And that wasn't a, that was not my policy. That's a policy in many units in the army. So um, so we were going to hold a formation at like, we, we were supposed to release them by three. We were going to hold the formation at two or two thirty. So, um, and I just wanted to address the battalion. And the reason I wanted to address the battalion was because I wanted to tell them, I do not expect to be your commander much longer. So um, so on Wednesday or Thursday, I told my battalion command sergeant major, who's the senior enlisted guy in the battalion, kind of like your your right-hand man in command. And then my operations officer just kind of as a heads up, hey you know, let's plan to do this. Let's put out the word because I want to address the battalion. So I get this text that morning. Hey, I got to pull you out of command today. So this is kind of the, uh, you know, the message that I knew was going to come at some point. So I'm reading this text in my office on the phone and I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is how I'm being notified that, you know, I'm going to be is awkward. Out of <laughs> so, you know, Thanks I'm kind of like, message, bro. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. So I'm kind of like, all right, cool. So am I like suspended as of now, you know, as a, right. you know, is this message about to self-destruct, you know, like, uh, what is that? Inspector yeah. back in the day? So, um, <laughs> so like as of receipt, am I, you know, am I, am I relieved, you know, effective? Right. I don't know. So, um,
1: well, okay. Can we just talk really fast? Like how disrespectful that is for
0: yeah, It's worse, but yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah.
1: I, I, and I know, but like, just, That's like the girlfriend that texts you to break up with you, right? Like that, that happens, right? You don't relieve someone of command through text message, like have the decency to walk into the man's office or look him in the eye, shit, a zoom call, like something, not a text message. Like that just seems ridiculous, but go ahead. I apologize. I keep interrupting you. So,
0: So I would go see my brigade commander later that day, but yeah, you're right. So it does get worse. So, um, So I remember kind of standing there, staring at my phone for a couple minutes because I'm like, okay, uh, (laughs) how how do I respond to this, right? So I text back, you know, all right. Hey, you know, whatever I said, you know, acknowledge, sir, got it. Um, I was going to address the battalion today. One of the reasons I was going to address them was actually to kind of tell them I didn't expect to be in command or almost say goodbye or whatever, right? Um, So can I have through the end of the day before I you know pull out of command or whatever, and he texts back, "Yeah, no problem, just come see me whenever you're done with your battalion." So I text back, okay, got it so now let let's say it's about eight thirty in the morning, and I'm gonna have a formation at two thirty. so I got six hours now. I have six hours now to um basically step out of command, which means everything that I'm working on right now I have to pass to my kind of my second in command who would be a major. That would be the executive officer or kind of my third in command. Who's another major that is my operations officer or to my battalion command Sergeant major, who's the senior enlisted advisor. Um, So, so, so basically I like call those guys in and I say, guys, this is it. I've been telling you guys, this is going to happen. And, and for weeks I had been telling them guys, we have got to have a plan in place for when I'm no longer here. And my second in command, um, really, really good guy, you know, a major, he would always tell me, Nah, sir, I think you're gonna be good. I think you're gonna be good. And I would say to him, No, I really don't we really have to have a plan, you know? Um so now I'm basically like handing them stuff. That's hey, such a dude this, moment, too. This, like something this. you
1: know this is coming and you keep telling, yeah. them, ah, nah, man, it'll be fine. And then you're yeah, crying. I have a great, had a great
0: relationship with all those guys, you know. So um, so, so now it's the end of the day. So I I address the battalion. I tell the battalion, hey, this is it. We all knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. Um, and I, you know, I just thanked him and I told him that it had been the honor of my career to be a battalion commander. And then um, so when we finished, I drove across the street to the uh brigade headquarters and I went in to go see the brigade commander. And um so when I walked into his office, so so Colonel Fedorovich, um, so, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a good guy. I actually really liked working for him. So forget COVID. Battalion commander to brigade commander, I liked working for him. Um, and, and with the COVID thing, he never gave me any grief. He just was powerless to keep the relief from happening. And then also, I mean, I don't, I don't think he fought for me, you know? But he was always cool with me. And so, you know, give credit where credit is due. Is he a coward like the rest of them? Yes. But I do not harbor any special particular animosity towards him just right. because he happened to be my boss when I got, you know, pulled out. In a lot of ways he was, you know, he he did what he could with me. Could he have done more? Of course. Um, have I heard from him, you know, since all this went down? No. Um anyway, so he was uh he was a very laid back guy in a lot of ways. He was not one of these super stiff you know colonels. He was very relaxed. Um so when I go into his office and I, and I was not overly concerned about going to see him cause he was a cool guy. I mean, I didn't think I was going to go in there and get yelled at or anything. I thought it was just going to be very matter of fact. So I wasn't, I was nervous because of the gravity of the situation. I was not nervous to face him, you know? Sure. So I walk into his office and he's seated at his table and the lawyer is there. Who's a major. And so he's the, uh, he's the lawyer on the brigade commander staff. Great dude. Nothing against him either. Um, I mean, he's a coward, like all the other lawyers in the military right now, but I don't have anything, you know, no, no special animosity towards sure. toward that guy either, but I walk in, they're both seated. And, uh, I mean, I think I just kind of smiled as I walked in and I just, you know, casually took a seat. There was no walking in and, you know, saluting. No, no, there was none of that. Sure. Very, very casual, you know? So I walk in, I take a seat. He hands me a piece of paper, I read it, it basically says, you know, you're you're being suspended at command, you know, for refusal, you know, covid shot, blah blah blah. You know, I sign it. Um and we can we we're very lighthearted. We kind of joke about it. Not because it's not a serious situation, but almost because of the the mutual acknowledgement of the absurdity of the situation if I can kind of word it like that, you know. Um now, again, he he could have fought for me. If he ever did with the general, uh, I'm not privy to that. And he certainly never told me that he fought for me, which I assume that he would if he had. So um, so I, I tell him, like, hey, sir, it's Friday afternoon. So come Monday, where do I go to work? And he says, don't, just, just hang out. Just like, don't call us, we'll call you. Meaning we got to figure it out, you know, it's a big deal for a battalion commander to get relieved. So we got to figure out where you're going to go and what you're going to do next, because it's one thing to get. What
1: basement can we hide you in with your red stapler? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good reference there. Um, So because there's going to be a stigma, like wherever I go, there's a stigma. Oh man, that's the dude who just got relieved. Right. Right. Um, So, and it's a big deal to get relieved to battalion command. Like everybody's going to know. So. Um so the other thing I tell him so it's Friday afternoon so I leave his office I drive home I tell him hey sir uh you know I'll go in tomorrow to my old office on a Saturday when nobody's around and I'll clean it out and he's like yep cool and I said once I clean it out tomorrow I'll hand off the key and you know I won't go back in my old headquarters so I did that um and it's funny because I never set up my office like, I never took a bunch of stuff. I never hung anything on the walls. I took very few things in there, a couple books, that was it. Because, again, from the day I took command, I did not expect to be there very long. I figured I was a temporary occupant in, in my own office, you know? So, um, yeah, so I cleaned out the office. I ended up being home for two weeks. I kept waiting for them to call me to tell me where to go. It took two weeks for them to tell me that I was going to be assigned to the division staff. So now the staff for the general, the division commander. Um, who actually, in essence, is the one that that formally relieved me of command. The brigade commander suspended me. Um, six days later, on October 28th, I would be formally relieved by the general, but I was informed of that via email. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's yeah. insane. six days
0: later. So the, so the email... I'm sorry. The the memo was signed October 28th. I was emailed the memo on November 15th. So there's an 18-day span there in which I've been formally relieved.
1: They did know the about it.
0: Staff, but I have not been informed that I've been formally relieved. Um, until I get an email, I get an email from the brigade judge advocate, so the brigade lawyer who is a major who was in the office with the brigade commander when I went in to go get suspended by the brigade commander. So not commander, even your commander.
1: It, it's from the lawyer. Yep.
0: Yep. So I'm being wow. notified of my relief, not from a commander, um, but from a lawyer. So someone who, you know, a, a lawyer is a staff officer. He makes a recommendation. He is not the commander. He is not the relieving authority. Sure. It takes a commander to relieve a commander. So, um, yeah, so I'm being notified and not even by the division lawyer. Interestingly enough, who was a a roommate of mine at West Point like two decades earlier. That's kind of an interesting wrinkle. What if this that's were a crazy. Movie, that would be kind of one of the one of the you know subcurrent themes that would have to be you know developed. Um, so we are
1: in a simulation, is what you're telling. Yeah, me. yeah. So, so
0: that's, there's a weird dynamic there too that the guy, the division lawyer, right, who is you know making his recommendations to the to the general. Um, so you could kind of think about him as the prosecutor in a way, kind of, you know? Um, so we are on opposite sides of this issue. And so once I do get relieved and I'm on division staff working, I would come across that guy every now and again. And we would like chat in the hallway or whatever, pure small talk. And we were cool with each other, but pure small talk, because it's like, like, you know, why you know, why, why address the obvious kind of, you know?
1: Sure. So what was your formal, I guess, insubordination? Was that your formal reason Um, for being relieved of duty?
0: It was for disobeying a lawful order, (laughs) you know? Wow. Which which is, which is, I mean, which is totally untrue, you know?
1: Okay. So let's fast forward a little bit. So what, What was the process once you went and became a staff of the person who fired you, which is the irony there is just great. But what was that process like between then and when they finally like, how did you get to the point where you had to submit your actual resignation? Like, what did that look like?
0: Yeah. Okay. good. Cool. So so this is. um so I get suspended on October 22nd. I go home for 2 weeks. We're like a week now into uh November when I go back to work. I'm on division staff. So division staff is oh I mean, it, I mean it's a couple hundred people. I mean it's a it's a big staff. Quite a few lieutenant colonels. So in that regard I can kind of blend in. And to be honest, like everyone's super cool with me. And I kind of as I'm meeting people um Assuming that my reputation has preceded me, right? I make sure people know like why I was relieved because I don't want people to think I was relieved for,
1: you know, a or driving yeah, incident sure. or,
0: you know, some sort of like, you know, improper relationship with a, you know, just whatever. There's all there's, sure. there are different reasons why people could be relieved. So I want to make sure people know, hey, it's because I refused this shot, which, you know, all you dumb dumbs took. That's kind of the the subtext there, right? So, um, so everyone's pretty cool with me. I get placed in what's called the G5 section, which is the plan section, which was a good fit for me. Um, I had attended a course earlier for a year. It was a, a, a master's producing course in which you kind of learn the way in which the army kind of conducts its planning. So it was a good fit for me. So I'm there in the plan section, helping some other guys, you know, do do different plans for the division. All right, great. So um, for the most part, like I said, everyone is pretty cool with me, but I am learning about this whole community bait and switch. Like, I mean, I'm still researching this all the time and trying to figure out, is this going to continue to stick? Are people going to resist this? And... um, Um, is there any chance? Because I I still have this hope in my mind. This can all be reversed and I can be put back into command. You know? Like I still still hold out some hope that, you know what? That is at least possible.
1: So even Um, after all of that, so like I asked you how you felt about being in the army up to the point of COVID. So even after all of this, You still would have taken your position, your command back if they had offered it to you, if 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 that had been a situation where they were like, you know what, we we fucked up. We shouldn't have made you guys do this. We had enough people file exemptions. We see now that we were wrong. We see the myocarditis numbers for a lot of these guys. This was we fucked up. So. Uh just kidding, Brad. Come on back. We'll we'll give you your command back. You would have said yes at that point in time.
0: Um, very likely. Now, okay. now, now, my perception was. I know it's different
1: now. We'll get to that, but I like yeah, at yeah, that yeah, moment yeah, in yeah. time. There's
0: a, there's a high probability that I would have, depending on how much time had passed. Um, because at that point, if I can still make it to 20 years, then I want to do that, and um, um. So when I took, when I took command in June of 2021, I was right at the 18 year mark. So the two years that I would have been in command would have taken me right to 20 years. So for me to make it, so we're talking, you know, this is November of 2021 for me to hit 20 years. I have to make it to May 31st of 2023, right? Right. So I'm at like, you know, 18 and a half years, uh, by this point. So, um, Yeah, it'd be much better to do that as a commander than it would be to be a staff officer in the division headquarters. Um, So, yeah, I I likely would have taken my command back. However, I might have retired right out of command rather than try to go on and get promoted again and stay in this, this clearly corrupt organization. So it would have been dependent on what were the conditions under which they would have taken me back or would everyone have congratulated me and have been like, you know what? not only are we gonna give you your, your command back, but we also acknowledge that you were one of the very, very few people who actually kind of did the right thing and drove home the message that that this was, you know, ultimately unlawful, you know? Sure. Because I, on, I have one more to...
1: question for you before you keep going, because this is, the the mentality is interesting to me. So if you would have taken that position back, you would have been serving under the same people that are cowards. Would that but have been hard for you? Like would that have been hard to go back and be a subordinate to someone that for all lack of better terminology is a fucking pussy?
0: Yeah, but you know what? So yes, but let's assume that they kind of um oh hey mea culpa. We like we were wrong. Oh yeah. You 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 were actually right and we acknowledge that, you know. So yeah. let's just assume that for a second. Um and it would have kind of changed the power dynamic. So even if they didn't do that, it would have kind of changed the power dynamic, because they would have been my my bosses, and would I have had less respect for them than than I otherwise would have, or perhaps should have? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I, I still might have taken the the position back. Yeah.
1: Okay. So fast forward. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you, but I just I if I don't ask these questions now, I'll forget to come back to them in a little bit. So where you're there, you're you're in on the staff. And you have until May of 2023. Did you have expectations at that point in time that you would last that long on the staff in, in that moment?
0: I had no idea. I had no idea. Okay. But I was like hating life. Um, okay.
1: I, I imagine that you would.
0: Yeah. So I, I mean, you worked um, so
1: hard to get to where you were to then just be
0: yeah, lumped it's, in it's, with a. The- yeah, it was kind of weird. So, um. Cause on the one hand I was hating life, but, um, um, but that's, but that's not, that's not the entire picture. So, you know, how does, uh, you know, how does Charles Dickens open up a tale of two cities? You know, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Sure. So there's, so there's kind of that dual aspect to it because, um, I am also, I don't know how to say it other than. I'm actually really proud of myself at the time. So for example, when I walked out of my brigade commander's office, clearly I felt um, a variety of emotions. But if I had to pick one that was the, like the chief standout emotion, um, it was pride, like pride in myself, because I was like, you know what? I can look at the other accomplishments throughout my career. You know, graduated from West Point, or I don't know, graduated from Ranger School, whatever it is, all these different assignments that I had, you know, going through the School of Advanced Military Studies, being selected for battalion commander. None of those hold a candle to um, being in the position that I am now, where under extreme pressure, where nearly everyone sold out, in my mind. I didn't. And to me, that's a far greater accomplishment than all that other stuff, which is also very important, which I'm very proud of. But like, this is the culminating moment of my four years at the Academy where it was drummed into my head for four years to choose the harder, right over the easier wrong, you know, all of this stuff that was like, um, because the army teaches you about virtues and values all the time. It's just, unfortunately, nobody believes it obviously, but
1: sure.
0: I did. So, so even now, when I'm on division staff and I I hate what I'm doing and being a staff officer, working on all these plans in this, you know, little corner office um, is way different than being a commander. Um, and and I'm I've gone from like here to here, kind of, you know, but I'm still very proud of like what I've done. So when I say I'm hating life, I only mean that, first of all, I only mean that in terms of my professional life. I mean, everything sure. else I was fine and i only mean that um in kind of the way in which kind of my career has been turned upside down right but i do feel like in a way um uh, how do i say this without sounding like super conceited i do feel that in a way i feel like i feel different than everybody else and in a good way you know right like,
1: I mean, I, I would imagine they feel dirty. Like, look at what we did to people's careers, their lives. And we did that over cool. a, a
0: shot? Yeah, like some Really? I think, some of, I think some of them back then, you know, because you know, we're, we're talking two years ago. I think some right. of them back then still probably thought that I was an idiot. Or, yeah. or that I was um, um, unnecessarily being a zealot. Like, yeah. dude, it's just a shot. You've taken how many other shots? Like I would get that kind of question a lot, but I will tell you. So right after I go up to division staff, I have a conversation. We're actually out in the field doing some training and um, with the division staff. So I I run into the division chaplain. So this guy's an ordained minister. I don't remember exactly what denomination. It doesn't matter, but he's, he's, he's a chaplain, but he's a former special forces guy, you know? Right. So this is like a, Like a total, you know, um, a rough dude who has been there and done that and is now a chaplain. Very unique individual. I didn't know him that well, but he comes and finds me. So um we actually go and break bread together, which uh when you're in a training environment in the field means you go eat, you know, an M R (laughs) E. So it's like, hey man, hey man, come, you know, come uh come, let's let's go talk. So we grab our MREs, we go over, it's just he and I and we're chatting and he's like hey man i've heard about your story tell me what happened so we're we're talking and he told me he's like hey listen personally i have nothing against the shot i took it i don't have the same beef with the with the shot that you do but and this is him talking to me but i absolutely um respect your ability to stand up for what you believe in and uh and to sacrifice what you just gave up and then he told me he told me something where he said, you know, um, he goes, I heard about your story from the brigade chaplain. So each, you know, unit level's got a chaplain. I didn't even know the brigade chaplain that well, but he clearly knew that there was a battalion commander in the brigade that was being relieved over this. And this brigade chaplain had told the division chaplain, um, and then it was relayed to me by the division chaplain that um, that uh, Lieutenant Colonel Miller that was a commander that was loved by his men. So this is, you know, this is told to me. And so when, when, uh, the division chaplain tells me that he had heard that from the uh, brigade chaplain, I mean, that like really hit me. And I was like, wow. You know, cause I'm thinking to my head, you know, I don't know that I've ever received a, a compliment more powerful than that throughout my entire career in the military. So, um, Yeah, so anyway, I I just kind of share that to to try and paint the entire picture that there's a lot going on in this time period. I am very happy with the decision that I've made. Um, I'm not happy and I'm very frustrated about the situation that I'm in. But um, but I kind of remain true to myself, you know? And there were people, like friends back home, who were telling me, dude, you... Are a total badass for going through what you're going through. I can remember yeah. being told this. I can remember being told this before I'd been pulled out of command, and I was like, "Do not congratulate me yet. Like, don't, don't congratulate me until I prove to myself that I actually have the balls to kind of like go through Walk this. Through like, this, yeah, yeah. You can t- you can tell me that that I that, that I am, but like, what? you know, what, what if I don't go through with this? What, what if I cave like everybody else does? So I I can, I remember one specific conversation when I was like, don't, I haven't done anything yet. Don't congratulate me yet. Congratulate me when I see this through and I've actually been relieved, you know, was there ever
1: a moment where you're like, fuck it, I'll just go
0: get this shot.
1: Like, was there ever a moment where you had even a second thought about
0: whether or not you were going to take it? Nope. Nope. But I will tell you where I did have second thoughts. So taking the shot was never one of them. Um, I could have put in for a religious accommodation request. I chose not to, even after I had been relieved, I chose not to stall. And I chose to, uh, to actually go through with the resignation. And I'm sure we'll talk to that process in a few minutes. Um, here's something else that I did consider. So I was under an immense amount of stress right when I showed up to Fort Campbell. Um, you know, like you said earlier, I had moved, you know, I'm trying to look for a house to buy. Um... I've come here to take command, and I know that I am like not on the team. I haven't even taken command yet. I showed up about June 1st. I take command on June 10th. So there's a roughly 10-day span where I am meeting with the guy that I'm going to replace, so the, 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 the outgoing commander of the battalion, um, kind of meeting with him, learning the ins and outs of the battalion, and I'm walking around with a mask on when the only people that are required to mask at this time – are those who are unvaxxed. So when you see me, a lieutenant colonel who's about ready to take, uh, you know, command of a battalion, it is immediately apparent that I am not on the team. Sure. And I feel very marginalized. So um, now I have, again, and people, I'm sure there are people out there who criticize me for wearing a mask. I don't believe in the mask at all, but you know, for me, it's like, okay, well, what, what is and is not a red line for me taking the shot. Yeah. Yeah. That I wasn't going to cross. The mask was one that I did not like. I would voice my opinion that I did not like it. You know, I, I did, you know, at least to some degree comply with it. Um, so there's one other thing where if I'm being very honest, there is another, not a red line, but there's another decision that I had to make and I made a decision, and was it the right or wrong decision? I don't know, but I, I will openly tell people about it. And that was in November. I've already been relieved. In November, the flu shot comes out. And I gotta, I gotta, I've already refused the COVID shot. And I gotta figure out what I'm gonna do with the flu shot now. And I remember <laughs> I remember just thinking, like, what do I do now? And so right. so I take it. Um now is that the right thing to do? Probably not, but let, let me explain. That's easy to say now, but let me explain the mind frame I was in, in November of 2021, where I don't yet know that the COVID shot, I don't know all the, I don't know all the details of the fraud. Right. So therefore, I think it's at least possible I could get reinstated into command, finish out my career, and I'm trying to be very specific about what my red lines are and are not. So I like agonize over this for a few days and then I got to decide whether or not I'm going to take it. And I ultimately decide to take the flu shot because in my mind, again, not because I wanted to take flu shots, but I had taken every single flu shot every year in my career. And if I don't take it now, then I am in my mind, potentially muddying the waters as to where I do not do and do not stand. Like what is my actual contention with you know, the COVID shot. And so I felt like, man, if I don't take the flu shot, I'm potentially undercutting my own position. So ultimately I, you know, I take the, I take the flu shot and, you know, people can criticize me for that. That's fine. Ultimately, nobody cared. Nobody cared that I did or did not take the flu shot, which means I probably should have just not taken it. Um, but you know, I had to make a decision with the, the information that I had at the time, you know, so that's in November of 2021 about December or January is about the time that I, I kind of come across the information about the, um, the bait and switch between the commodity products and the Pfizer BioNTech EUA label or EUA products. And then also in January of 2022, there's a directive that comes out from the headquarters of the army that says, by July 1st, 2022, every, everyone in the army will be COVID vaxxed Unless you have an approved, you know, um exemption request, you know?
1: What was that date again?
0: So so the the directive from the army was published on January thirty-first, okay. but the date was July first. So gotcha. January thirty-first, this memo comes out saying by July first, twenty twenty-two, the the army will be a one hundred percent vaxxed force for COVID. The only exceptions being those who get you know, an exemption request approved. And we know that that number is only going to be 1% or less, you Mate. know? Um, but in that memo that I'm reading, there is a stipulation in there that says, um, like you're going to get separated. So by 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 July 1st, if you are not vaxxed and you don't have an approved exemption, you will be separated from the army. But there's a stipulation in there that says, in lieu of separation, you can pursue resignation instead. And if you resign and you have nothing derogatory in your file other than just the refusal to take the COVID shot, then you will retain your, um, your honorable discharge. And the word on the street was, it wasn't in the memo, but the word on the street was, if you were going to get kicked out for refusing the COVID shot, if, like if the army kicked you out, then you were not going to leave with an honorable discharge.
1: What?
0: Yeah. Well,
1: of course they wouldn't put that in writing because that would be really bad.
0: <laughs> it would be, it would be, it would be. So, um, so now I got to make a decision. So I know that the situ. now I know that the situation is worse than I thought it was. I'm right. aware that on top of, um, the shot being based on lies and the whole COVID narrative, you know, blah, 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 blah. Now I know about the, just very clear, explicit fraud with the bait and switch between the community and the BioNTech products. I'm, I'm aware of that now. Um, and I am now I realize, okay, I got to make a decision on whether or not I am going to resign or whether I'm going to try and stall. So this is January 31st, this memo comes out. May 31st of the following year is like my 20 year mark. So I'm 16 months away. But July 1st of that year, you know, um, is is uh, like if I'm not vaxxed and I don't have an exemption request approved, I'm going to get kicked out. Well, right. between July 1st and May 31st of the next year, there's like 11 months. So how do I get past that date for like another 11 months sure. unless I can find some way to legally stall through submitting an exemption request? It gets denied. I put in for an appeal, and then I try to keep like the litigation process open um for eleven months after this July first date, if that kind of makes sense, you know,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: so I'm having this debate with my with myself in my head in January of twenty twenty two so the date says, um, if you're going to resign, you have thirty days from the publication of this memo to submit your resignation. So 30 days from uh, July 31st is March 2nd, you know, 28 days in February, right? So March 2nd. On March 2nd, I submitted to my unit, my resignation paperwork. So I literally took the entire 30 days to deliberate. And then I handed in my uh, resignation paperwork on um, on March 2nd, 2022. And um, I did it for two reasons. The practical reason is by doing so, I retain my honorable discharge. the The more moral reason is, I was like, I'm not going to try and relitigate or, or you know, appeal and then litigate and try and stall to make it to 20 years. Because if I do that, I'm doing it for money. I'm doing it for my you know reputation and to retire and keep the retired rank and uh, and for my pension. I'm not doing that. I'm going to stand up and say, you know, I'm, I am not going along with this. And now I don't think I can trust being in this organization. So now my perspective has changed a little bit from a couple of months prior where I was like, Hey, maybe I can still take. Command. Right. But you know, now I know about the clear fraud with the shots, the bait and switch. <clears throat> this directive has come out. More time has passed. You know, I've I've now been out of command now for over four months. So I'm like, I don't even want to be in this organization anymore. I do not trust the senior leaders. And I feel that they are not making good on their oath to the constitution. And I'm in this weird situation. And even though it seems paradoxical, I'm in this situation where I feel like I cannot remain in uniform and make good on my oath to the constitution. I'm actually gonna have to take the uniform off. And by doing so, I can probably serve the country to a greater degree. So I submitted my resignation. It took a while for it to go through. Um, I submitted did anybody
1: some, try to stop you? Then did anybody like try to advise you, or was there anybody looking out for you above you that was like, you know what, I I don't agree with this. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna see what I can do.
0: So, I had a buddy of mine. He was a lieutenant colonel, but um, he had just come out of battalion command. He had finished, you know, battalion command honorably, and um. He was pro shot. I mean, he told me that, but he was a great dude. He had graduated West Point one year prior to me. And um, we're both Lieutenant Colonels. This happens sometimes in the Army. We're both Lieutenant Colonels, but in the position that I'm in and the position that he's in, he's kind of my boss. He doesn't write my eval report, but he is like the senior Lieutenant Colonel on the division staff. And he technically has a lot of Lieutenant Colonels who kind of work for him. I'm one of them. So we're peers. But he's kind of the guy that gives me like my my daily marching orders along with a bunch of other lieutenant colonels. But he was a great dude, and he comes to me and he's like, "Hey man, you know I'm trying to think of ways in which you might be able to stall." And I'm like, "I'm not gonna do it, brother." Like I I, I appreciate that, I do, and I think you're a good dude, brother. But I'm not. I'm like I'm not gonna do it, man. And here's also if I'm telling the story of people who tried to, um, you know, talk some sense into me. Um, so JP McGee, the general, you know, still a general in the army. Now he was the division commander. He's the one who ultimately relieved me of command, did not do it in person. Um, you know, would not see me in person about it, a move that I think is totally cowardly. Um, however, he and I had a conversation in August, just prior to the mandate one-on-one. Um, I was still in command and, and he was actually pretty cool with me, you know, in his office behind closed doors. Just he and I, you know, a two-star general and a lieutenant colonel, both of whom are commanders on opposite sides of an issue, you know, know that the other one sees the situation differently. And to be honest, he was completely cool with me in that conversation. And um, now he totally disagreed with me. I think he was a true believer in the shot then. I don't know if he is now, but, um, but he told me, if you go through with this, just you have to understand what you may be sacrificing. And he kind of laid it out like in monetary terms, if you give up your, if you give up your pension, you realize that over the course of your life, you're giving up, you know, well over a million dollars, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I told him like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand all that. I acknowledge all that. Um, I'm not saying this is an easy decision, but I also, I'm I'm not going to stay in for money. You know, I mean, I'm not, it's like, not going to do it, you know, I'm not going to do it. Um, but I appreciated the fact that he was kind of doing his due diligence as a commander with one of his subordinate commanders and kind of saying, Hey, Brad, if you're going to go through with this, um, just under, just make sure you have the full picture, you know, as you make your decision, which, I, which I think is, I mean, I admire that. I admire that he had that conversation with me. I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. You know, right?
1: that's what I've appreciated about everything that I've seen from you, um, Sorry, I I'm, I am listening to you. I have a fly that keeps buzzing around and it's driving me insane. So like I keep muting my mic and trying to kill it so that it doesn't look like I'm like a dead body sitting here with flies all over me or something. But right, 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 I, right. I was like, I don't want him to think I'm not listening.
0: Yeah, yeah, No, no worries.
1: And it, whenever I edit this, it will only show the video for the person speaking. So I was like, okay. I have so much respect for the story but this fly is driving me crazy. So anyway, I apologize. So yeah,
0: yeah no worries. No worries.
1: Um, and I don't even know, like when you're saying like talk sense into you, I I think you were the sensible one. And I think, you know, from anybody from the outside looking in, yes, I, like it's, it's fucking insane that you had to give up your pension and your career and and all of that, that, that is the insane part. The, the sensible part was for you to, to maintain your, your integrity. Your, and so there's nobody, I don't know a single person that would look at what you did and say, oh, Brad just, he really fucked up. Like, I I mean, I imagine you sleep better at night knowing that you carried through with what you intended to do because it was the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when I, when I say, you know, talk sense into me, I mean that from their perspective is that they, they probably thought they were trying to talk sense into me, but, right. um, and you know, what's weird, this is kind of sad. Um, and, and, and this is not unique to me. I mean, I ask other people the same question all the time and I get a similar answer, but, um, if you think I've had a lot of people and I'm not saying you do think this, but, um, but I get asked this sometimes if you think people have come to me in the last two years and said, you know what, man, you were right. Like, Hey, I was a true believer two years ago. And now with everything that has come out, you were right. Almost nobody has, has ever told me that, you know?
1: Wow. What about, so I'm curious, just I know you said only like 1% of the the requests were approved. Just roughly, do you know the number of how many people were relieved of duty due to not getting the COVID shot?
0: Yeah, so the official figure, I think it's 8400. It's it's right around there, 82-8400 8, something like that. That's the number that DOD will give you as to the service members that were discharged sp- specifically for refusing the COVID shot.
1: That now, doesn't that encompass the number of people who didn't sign their reenlistment papers or anything like that.
0: Yep. So like somebody like me is not included in that number because technically I resigned, which means I was not separated for refusing the shot. So wow. you're exactly right. So those who, uh, resigned like me, and I mean, I'm not the only one, you know, um, those who, were going to re-enlist but decided otherwise. Those who were already post-20 years and therefore could retire, but retired at 20 or 21 years when they had planned to do 30. And right. you know, that number's not capturing that. That number's also not capturing those um, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds that between now and the next, you know, one to two to three years or whatever would join the military are now not going to join the military. Right. Any of whom so uh for a lot of people military service has been you know generational right you know dad served granddad served you know whatever there's a lot of people like that um i mean i saw that back at west point there were a lot of people at west point who had a parent and sometimes even a grandparent as well who had gone to west point you you see that all throughout the military but i know so many people right now that are leaving the military whether they're retiring or or resigning or whatever it is that are actively telling their teenage children, "Please do not go into the military."
1: If it's been my experience that if you were a GWAT vet, you're actively turning your children away from the military, and that, in my my opinion, I guess that's the first time that's ever happened. Like in the past, it's been a a staple of pride for you to have served and then your offspring to serve behind you. Like that's a, that's a, a pride thing. And now I, I, I've never met somebody who was a GWAT vet that that if you ask them a question, do you have a son or daughter that wants to serve? What would you tell them? Not a single one of them says, yes, not, not one.
0: Right, right, right. And I would say it's kind of crazy because it's, it's also not even that they are, um, being neutral. It's that they are actively, in some cases, at least they're actively discouraging their children who perhaps otherwise might be interested, but yet their parents are actively discouraging them from looking at the military as an option, you know? Yeah.
1: So that actually kind of leads me into what I wanted to talk about on a macro level with America, the military at large, that kind of stuff. Um, I did have someone who asked me to ask you the question. So I'm going to get to that. I want to make sure I ask that. Um, yeah, yeah. The question is, do you think that COVID impacted training and readiness? And what do you think about the state of the military today in being able to respond to conflict? What changes would you make if you could?
0: Okay. Um, do I think COVID impacted training and readiness? So there are two ways that I could answer that question. So one is, do I think training and readiness were impacted by whatever it is that we call COVID because, you know, people had to go home and we're trying to work. I mean, it's, and, and this happened, you know, units went home and were trying to work from home. Well, it's impossible to train when everyone's like at home, you know, you, you can't really run an army on <laughs> right. Zoom You can hold meetings via Zoom meetings and the army does have a lot of meetings, but you can't train. So anyway... If that's the question, then the answer to that is yes. But let's look at it from the other perspective. Um, my perspective is that, you know, this whole thing COVID, whatever COVID is or is not, and then also the lockdowns, you know, the masking, the travel restrictions, and and of course the shots, if we look at all of that as kind of the COVID op, which I certainly think that it is, then um, did that impact training and readiness? And yeah, absolutely. And um, and still does. so for example, um, when I was we talked about me spending a month uh, in September of, of uh, 2021 doing this uh, training rotation down at uh, Fort Polk, Louisiana. While I was there, if you were unvaxed, you actually had to wear a, um, a red wristband. So you had to wear a wristband that denoted your, your VAx status, but if you were unvaxed, it was a red wristband.) <laughs>
1: Because, oh my God, it's like the emotional cards that come out in, Uh, in I mean,
0: (laughs) I mean, I mean, again, like, thanks for segregate
1: you further, Brad.
0: Yeah. So, okay. Like, thanks for revealing, you know, who you really are, I guess, you know, um, and the, and the, the commander that came up with that policy is a former boss of mine, who I used to have like tremendous respect for. When I was a major and he was my brigade commander, fast forward, I'm a battalion commander and he's the commander of, um, you know, Fort Polk, Louisiana. And I mean, it was his policy. Um, and, and to some degree, I still think that guy's a really good guy. I I just feel like some of these commanders have either lost their minds. What was
1: the tactical, like, what was the tactical justification for that? What about you wearing that red wristband changed your ability to train or lead or how did that impact? Why was that necessary?
0: Right. So their stated reasoning, because I mean, clearly it's not necessary at all, but their stated reasoning for the policy, of course, is so that you can know at a quick glance who is or is not COVID vaxxed. So that in theory, if you had a COVID breakout, you know, during the training scenario, it's more easy for you, I don't know, easier for you to conduct contact tracing or, I don't know. I mean, I, it doesn't make any sense, but that kind of would have been some of the the stated stated reasoning. Um, So, but so since the rollout of the shots, and I'm sure you've got a lot of people who are tuning in, who may have heard of what's called DMED. So DMED is a military database. It stands for um, the defense medical epidemiological database. I did not work in the medical community in the military. I have never personally accessed that database. So what I'm telling you is information that has come from others. I don't claim to have personally accessed it because I never would have had access to it. Um, This database is similar to Vare's, but in some ways it's almost more reliable because it's a more closed system. You know, because it's is just it still self-administered? Meaning,
1: like, if you were negatively impacted, you're the one that files, or would it have been a military physician?
0: No, I think I think it's a I think it's a, a provider. So, like a you know a, a okay. care provider. So um, then it would
1: definitely be more. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think, Go ahead. I
0: think, and there are you know codes they have to put in, but again, I don't claim to be an expert, but I do know that like it's also the military knows exactly who it has in its populations. So when you look at a person that's in this system and you know exactly who that person is, whether they're in the Navy or the Army, you know, whatever, you know exactly who they are. But the reason that system exists is because it should give you early warning if there is some sort of health concern that serves as a readiness threat, you know? Right. So anyway, after the, uh, the rollout of the shots, there were a lot of signals that were present in the DMED system and there were whistleblowers that started to come out saying hey listen we have these like huge spikes in um in uh, in types of conditions that we we typically don't see in the military population because it's typically a pretty healthy demographic you know right um so, anyway so so that has largely been ignored by the military in fact the military came out and said no, there's been a glitch in the system, you know, blah, blah, blah. And here we are two plus years later, the DOD continues to ignore this data. And I mean, to a large degree, Congress has ignored it too. I mean, you got, you got a couple people in Congress, and I mean, you can almost count them on one hand who have said anything at all about what's going on. And most of those who have, um, I, mean, I think they've just been kind of paying lip service while, while doing little to nothing about it.
1: Right. Well, you know, they got to collect those checks from. They do. Big they Obama. do. They, they got to get they that do. donation so, money.
0: So, you know, back to the question about readiness. So. Um, you have you have 20 year olds in the military who are suffering heart attacks, you know. Um,
1: in large numbers.
0: Yeah. And if you look at the numbers, you know, we're not just speaking anecdote. anecdotally, you can look at the numbers where the the spike over the last two to three, you know, since the rollout of the shot, is is um, you know significantly higher than the five year average pre shot. You can look at it for heart attacks and myocarditis and you know neurological uh, disorders, autoimmune issues, um, and I don't remember exactly what the spikes are for each one, but those signals are there in the DMed data there are multiple whistleblowers who have called attention to it and it's been largely ignored. And I'll tell you one of the ones that is the most frightening and that's what's happening with our pilots. So it's happening in, in the uh, commercial aviation community as well. But in a military aviation community, we have had you know, healthy individuals um, that have had issues in the cockpit or pilots that have had issues outside of the cockpit. So they weren't flying at the time that they have some sort of medical issue that you typically would think should not occur in a healthy pilot. So your military demographic is already very healthy compared to the, the general population, but your pilots, you know, the uh, the screening that they go through is even that much more stringent. Right. You know? um, but you've also had some crashes, you know, some helicopter crashes recently in the, in the army that, um, some would say aren't necessarily receiving the due scrutiny in terms of investigation, that perhaps they should. So yeah, if it there's keeps being blamed on
1: faulty equipment, but I'm starting to question either we need a major revamping of our equipment in the military, or you aren't doing a very good job of investigating what's going on with the pilots in those crashes.
0: So what a lot of medical providers have said, again, we're talking about those who have had the courage to kind of stand up and speak out. Sure. What they have said is, Hey, listen, everybody in the military who took these shots, which is like 98, 99%, whatever, right? Um, You need to screen everybody. Because if you do that, you may catch the 22-year-old service member who looks healthy on the outside and probably was healthy before the shots, but has myocarditis, doesn't know it yet, but it's just a matter of time before it manifests itself. So if you were to screen all these people, the, the thought goes, you could catch some of these individuals and then you could start treatment rather than waiting for, you know, an issue to happen.
1: But, Brad, that would be dangerous because they might actually see the numbers of how bad they've affected sure. the individuals in the United States military. Sure. Like that they would have to declaratively say, oh, we fucked you up. Oh, we fucked you up. Like and and then you'd see this huge number of people that are negatively impacted. So they won't do that.
0: Right. And then what does that mean for somebody like me? And again, right. not, that not that my story is any more important than anybody else's, but I'm just using myself as an example. Right. But then, so, so, so for example, on November 1st, so, you know, two weeks ago, right. Um, the army put out some guidance saying, we want to correct the records of those who received, you know, some sort of derogatory paperwork for refusing the shot. But, in the memo that they produced, they also said, um, "We continue to be very proud of our, you know, COVID nineteen response and vaccination uptake, or whatever." So it's they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth. But the right. fact that they are saying we do want to correct records is at least an admission of, "Hey, listen, if if you got a a letter of reprimand, which I did, by the way, um, a letter of reprimand for refusing the shot, or." or if you were discharged with a general discharge rather than an honorable discharge, we can help you upgrade that, you know? Oh, and they say, Oh, and if you want to come back in, speak to your recruiter, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then there was a flyer (laughs) that just came out like in the last 24, maybe 48 hours. Um, Oh yeah. Where
1: they're telling the, the NCOs, they're going to have to go to recruiting school. Is that the one you're talking about?
0: So that did happen too, but there's a flyer that has come out just in the last day or two um that is a recruitment flyer and it says in these like this huge font at the top um covid vaccine no longer required it's like it's like at the very top so they are
1: wow um,
0: relaxing that 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 covid you know standard i mean, I mean why because they they can't otherwise recruit people I, I don't know i mean there 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 are many questions that come out of that but it's at least an acknowledgment that either a the army knows their retention and recruitment sucks um, or the shot was a mistake or whatever. They're not saying that in those words, but they're kind of um, they're kind of in in an indirect way conveying that message
1: right. um before we get completely away from that to like general conversations, I am so sorry about this fly. Um, mm-hmm. the I have, I have a four year old and an eleven year old and I'm pretty sure they both believe that we live in a barn. um mm-hmm. so the When you're talking about they're they're talking about making changes or retroactively going back, I mean, in in essence, your resignation was coerced, right? Like you would never have resigned from the military if not threatened with a dishonorable discharge. And so my question to you is now, now that they're acknowledging this, these policy changes, I know that you're not gonna go back in the military. Like I you have made that very clear. And I I would probably have less respect for you if you did at this point. Um, but the well, maybe not. That's probably the wrong way of wording it. But the we'll we'll touch on that some other time. <laughs> um, would you fight for your your pension and your retirement now to say you coerced me into Signing my resignation, I want my time served.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I, I would not feel um, guilty for that at all, or because I I do believe that I was wronged, you know. Yeah. So, um, and and I've been pursuing ways to try and do this. I mean, no luck yet, but um, what would I ask for? So here's the way. Here's what I think I gave up. I gave up my command because I was relieved of command after four months when I should have been in for twenty-four months. Um, so I lost my command. I lost the remainder of my career, whatever that might have been. But I served nineteen years, and I actually was thinking about serving as many as twenty-five. Like I, I was not looking to retire right after my command. In fact, I mean, I wanted to go to the war college. I wanted to get promoted another time to colonel, if you know, if that was in the cards. But whatever the remainder of my career was. Whether I would or would not have been promoted, but whatever it was, that all got cut short, and then um, and then I lost my retirement pension. So my retirement status. So you know, um, whenever people ask me if they're supposed to refer to me as lieutenant colonel or whatever, I always kind of say the same thing. Um, if I send my bio to somebody, I refer to myself as a former lieutenant colonel, because I'm not I'm not a lieutenant colonel retired. Like I didn't I didn't retain the rank. Because I didn't retire as a lieutenant colonel because I didn't retire. So I'm not a lieutenant colonel. I didn't retain that rank. And in fact, I'm kind of proud of that because if people refer to me as a lieutenant colonel retired, then in some ways, not not that they, not that they, they mean this, but in some ways it kind of diminish. Sometimes I'll kind of jokingly push back and I'll say, hey, don't take my resignation away from me. You know, like I retired. Yeah. So don't refer to me as retired when I resigned. You know that's I, why I opened
1: know. the show with former. I didn't say retired. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That's that's typically how I kind of classify myself. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's talk more on the macro. I, just I. I know you gave me ninety minutes, and I told you I would get. Oh, it we're
0: good. Right. We're good. We're good. We're
1: good. Um. So we just had Xi Jinping in San Francisco, and I watched a parade through the streets with Chinese fucking flags and proverbial dick sucking for a communist dictator in our own country. And I can't help, like, don't get me wrong, I'm very anti-war, extremely. Like, I do not think we need to be involved in Ukraine and Russia, I don't think we need to be involved in Israel and Hamas. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really just really like our country. Like, I really kind of want to just fuck with our own shit right now. Let's let's clean this up over here. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it seems that it, you watch things happen and it's like, oh, that's an anomaly. That's a one off. No big deal. And then you watch it happen again and you're like, well, that's strange. It's starting to become a little bit of a pattern. And then you watch it happen rapidly over and over and over again. You're like, are you just really trying to destroy our country from within? Like, what what are you even doing? Let's be honest. COVID was funded by the United States in China. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts our recruiting numbers—you had mentioned this. I'm just going to bring this up real fast. So the Army fell short on its record recruiting goal this year by 10,000 people. So that's not—that's not a nothing number. 10,000 people is a huge number to miss the mark by, yep. and to the point where they're now calling up. Oh, I'm trying to like tap my screen and I forgot it's the other computer. Anyway, so the number. We're now saying that NCOs have to report for class to learn how to become recruiters, Mm -hmm. and the way that it changes, uh, temp profiles are okay, ACFTBF failures are okay, um, no age requirement, no citizenship requirement. Like, what? What are we even doing right now? Just throwing people into – so I'm curious as I just ramble on about all of the things that I'm incredibly emotional about right now. How do you see – like when I sit and I think about the American military, like our fighting force, I still believe in my heart, and maybe this is somewhat misguided or nostalgic, I still believe we are the greatest fighting force in the world. I don't believe we are the greatest administrative fighting force in the world. I believe that our officer class and above has become completely corrupted and that they are not acting in the best interest of the United States anymore. And I'm curious how you see that, because I'm just I'm just a mom in Indiana looking from, you know, this very teeny tiny perspective, but I'm curious if you feel like right now, if, if China took Taiwan, if we could go fight China in a war, a full on war.
0: Okay, good. Uh, big, big question. Um, so there is, um, so I, I write a Substack. If anybody wants to find that, you can find that I it. I was going to have
1: you plug it. Yes.
0: Perfect. Sorry. So Brad so BradMiller10.substack.com. And um, so there's a piece that I wrote on there a couple of months ago called Treason and Cowardice. And um, kind of the, the thesis, if you will, of that piece is that, okay, at the top of our military and government, you clearly have people that in my mind are openly committing treason. And then beneath that level in the military, you got a lot of people who are cowards. Now I don't pretend to know exactly where the line is between those that are openly committing treason. And then those that are just, you know, cowards. Cause I mean, clearly there's a difference between just being a coward and then, and then also, I mean, you know, like committing treason. Right. So, um, I don't pretend to know exactly where that line is, but I do believe that there are senior military leaders at the top that know exactly what they're doing and that are deliberately destroying readiness, destroying the culture of the military, and by extension, destroying the culture of the United States. You know, like I believe that is happening. Now, um, are are they doing that? A lot of people say, well, those people... Um, are doing that at China's behest because they're they're um you know they're being paid off by China. Is that true? Maybe maybe not. I don't know. I tend this I tend to think that um the same people that control the United States are the same people that control China. I mean, I kind of think it's you know these global networks that kind of are, are, you know, manipulating a lot of different sides. I also think that if you look back at Chinese history, a lot of western capital was kind of taken to kind of build the China that we have now, uh, you know, same thing happened with Western capital that financed the Bolshevik revolution, you know, in any, in any, in any case, um, that does not mean that China is not a threat because even if, you know, China and Russia are kind of being controlled at the top by the same people that's controlling, uh, Western powers, they may still push us into war with each other, you know? Um, so it's still a concern. So is the United States an effective fighting force? Um, yes and no. Is the United States military highly trained? In some ways, yes. And in some ways that that training still stands. Now, I, I do think the United States military could be um, more highly trained. Um, but you do have a lot of highly trained service members. You also have also, a lot of...
1: I, I'm curious what you would change. Like, how do you think they can be more trained? What are give me some specific examples of what you think they could do differently
0: yeah okay so number 1 um your average unit in in doesn't matter whether it's the army the air force doesn't matter spends way too much time doing this mandatory training on stuff that just doesn't matter um and i'm not even talking about the woke stuff the woke stuff is is a huge part and is its its own disaster but i'm talking about even aside from that and people have gone through and they've crunched the numbers and they realize that in any giving in any given you know training calendar year units are going to sacrifice just an inordinate number of hours doing complete bullshit you know and 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 i will tell you the more that i think about that the more that i think that is by design i think that is actually being directed at the top to have like this seemingly necessary mandatory training um, in order to occupy time and kind of further encumber troops, which then cuts into the time for them to train. You know, that is the number one thing that I would, I would uh, get rid of. And 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 I remember that um, when he was Secretary of Defense, you know, Mattis supposedly slashed some of that stuff. You know, for these reasons, I, I don't know how much of that you know took effect, but um, but I do believe that that stuff is is deliberate. I don't believe that it is just people who think this stuff is necessary and then it just kind of grows over time. No, I think it's deliberate to have this stuff that sounds necessary, but in reality cuts into training time. That's the number one thing that I would change. And that is something that the average person is not necessarily aware of. They're hearing about the woke training, but they're not aware that there's all this other just nonsense that just cuts into training time. Um, So if you look at our ability to project power strategically. So you got all this hardware and advanced technology that the United States has, you know, compared to to other rival powers out there and some of it's pretty sophisticated. Now, China also has some pretty sophisticated equipment and 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 so does Russia and so do some other powers out there too depending on what we're talking about. Um but before we even get to that or before we even get to the sophisticated equipment that we use for our uh, our intelligence collection at the strategic level, et cetera. Um, what I would say is most disconcerting is, you know, what's in here, and that's yeah. You've probably heard me talk about the moral injury before. Yes. So the, you know, regardless of how high tech or not our hardware may be, right, or um, our other communication systems, you know, et cetera, some of which again is is very sophisticated. Don't get me wrong. But um, that stuff's still run by people. And you got a lot of people right now that are disgusted with the military. And some people are even disgusted with themselves. So when I talk about moral injury, I I typically explain it a couple of different ways. So when you commit an act, like we've all done throughout life, you do something that you feel guilty about. Well, you feel guilty about it because you did something that you knew was wrong. Or in other words, you committed an act that was against your own moral code. Sure. So when you feel guilty, that guilt is oriented towards an act, whatever you did, you feel guilt because of that act. Disgust is when you take that moral injury one step further, because guilt is oriented towards the act. Disgust is oriented towards the actor. So if that is, you know, inclined towards yourself, then you feel disgust towards yourself because of what you did. You know, now, you did this, that means you're this type of person. You're now disgusted with yourself, right? Obviously, that's not a healthy attitude to have. Um, but it can also be oriented towards an organization. When you are part of an organization that goes against that own or that organization's own stated moral code, and the military has a, a very clearly stated system of values, right? Um, then you're going to have moral injury in that organization. And so what I think you've got that is rampant in the ranks right now is you have individuals who feel guilty about things that they've done. They may even feel disgusted about what they have been a part of, but they feel disgusted towards others, maybe their unit leaders, maybe the senior Pentagon leadership, or maybe the military as a whole. You know, And it is possible to be both a perpetrator and a victim of moral injury at the same time. So for example, you can feel like you were backed into a corner. And at the same time, you can feel like you kind of backed other people into a corner. And I'm convinced that there are many people who feel like that right now. They they feel like they were pressured. And and I'm talking kind of about the whole COVID thing, but this is bigger than just the COVID thing. But if we use that as an example, right? They feel like they were pressured to take the shots. They did, but they also kind of feel like they pressured other people to take the shots. And now maybe even some of those people are injured, you know? Yeah. So they are at the same time, they're, they're, they're a victim of this moral injury, but they're also a perpetrator. So they're extremely conflicted. And I imagine some of those individuals are having a tough time looking at themselves in the mirror, you know? I wish more people would speak about it. I wish one of the ways in which they could probably seek some kind of um, – you know, kind of, kind of reconcile their actions then with kind of where they are now is by speaking out about it, you know, cause I'm yeah. convinced some of these people did what they thought was right at the time, you know? Um, but I think you have people who are having a, a hard time putting on the uniform each day, you know?
1: Yeah. You know, when you talk about moral injury, you also have to think about like, what are you fighting for? Right? Sure. Like right now, if if I'm in uniform and I'm looking out at this country, I'm looking at a country that doesn't, A, doesn't like me. They hate me. In addition, they hate the country that they live in. The number of people who are so ungrateful for this nation that they're out holding flags for other countries and and not their own. Like, and... and You know, I have a lot of anarchists and libertarians and a lot of people who are who are very different from me politically that do listen to my show and and kind of follow me. But I am I was raised to get up and say the national anthem every day at school. And I still cry when I hear the national anthem like I I love this country. I've been to 37 of them. And this is still the best one. Like, I still haven't been able to find another country that's better than this one. But there are so many people who have never stepped outside of their their city, their county, their state to ever see anything different than what they experience. And they virtue signal that this is such a shitty place. And so you're in uniform. You're already feeling all of this from your own personal experience. And then what you're getting from the outside of that is nothing but shit from people who have no idea what you're going through or what you're doing. I think it creates this massive amount of like not readiness. Like you're you're sitting and looking at a country and you're like why do I even put this uniform on in the morning? Like why do I wake up?
0: Yeah, and I I I think um so if you look at patriotism, so one of my favorite quotes when it comes to patriotism is from Mark Twain, where he says, um, you know, patriotism is when you support your country always, but you support your government when it deserves it. And um, and I really like that. <laughs> it's Such know? a great quote. Yeah, yeah. That's how I view patriotism. So, you know, to personalize it a little bit, I decided to resign from the military because I was like, you know what? Um, I feel like I'm doing right by my country and my oath to the constitution by actually leaving the military. Now, I, again, I mean, I admit that that sounds weird. I admit that that is seemingly it paradoxical. I got sound it. weird, but, um, but I mean, if, if, if it is what it is, then it is what it is. So I feel like the government right now has made itself the enemy of the people. Yeah. And the, the military is part of the government and the senior leaders in the military mm-hmm. are falling in line with the government's, targeting of the people. And I do believe that a lot of the COVID op was carried out by DOD. You know, Um, I mean, we look at DARPA, DARPA is part of DOD. You know, you look at like DARPA's involvement in all this. Um, It's, it's, it's very, um, very dark, but also, you know, quite dangerous. And so for me, you got to draw a distinction between, so what's a country? Is a country, is it the people? Is it the government? Is it the sum of the you know, the history and the cultural identity and the the values and the land of a specific place, or is it more than that? You know, we can quibble about all of that, but I will tell you what, the, the government and the people are, are certainly not the same
1: and no. the country
0: and the government. Well, I mean, that's not exactly the same thing either, you know?
1: Yeah. Nope. You're 100% correct. Um, I have taken up way more of your time than I had originally anticipated and I feel really bad about that. No, oh,
0: no worries. No worries. This is, this is a lot of fun.
1: No, I loved it. And and we'll probably have to do it again cuz I still have an entire list of questions over here that I want to ask you. So, um with that being said, you plugged your Substack. Will you please give your uh, I'll, and I'll link all of this in the show description for everyone who's tuning in. Uh your your, is Twitter the best place for people to communicate with you?
0: Yeah. So, um, yep. So you can go to my Substack, which is uh, again, bradmiller10.substack.com. I mentioned the treason and cowardice piece that I wrote. There's also a piece that I wrote specifically on moral injury. The title is Moral Injury. Um, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at bradmiller1010. Um, you can also find me for right now, you can find me on YouTube, um, at bradmiller one, zero. Like if you just
1: take, did they take your video down where you talked about, because I could only find that video on rumble.
0: Uh, which one they might have, I might not even be aware of it yet.
1: The one where you gave like your whole story, like it was kind of like a, a true comprehensive of what happened to you.
0: I'll have to look at it. Maybe they
1: did uh, it. I just couldn't find it on YouTube. When okay. I clicked the link it was like this isn't available
0: or whatever. Oh, really? Interesting. They they might have. They might have taken one of my videos down and I'm not even aware of it yet. Anyway. Um, interesting. I'll have to go back take, and look. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they take down. They took down 3 of my videos. They demonetized me. They gave me a bunch of strikes. And yeah. fast forward 3 years after all of like the COVID stuff has changed and all that three-year-old videos got re-put back online because they didn't actually violate the terms of service. It's like the... Again, there's more to my list of things I wanted to talk to you about, really? like censorship and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I do think I'm going to have to have you on again if you had a good enough time to come back.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we should definitely do a follow-on episode. This was a lot of fun, so I appreciate. Oh, that.
1: oh, I did want to plug one other thing that you do. So you guys know I do Liberty Library on Wednesday nights on Twitter Spaces. Brad mm-hmm. also is doing a book club. So will you plug that a little bit and kind of talk about how that works for you?
0: Yeah, let me mention two things actually. So, um. Yep. So I do teach a course. It is, um, it's called literature as resistance, and it can be found at a website called ipak-edu.org. So IPAC is I P A K that stands for the Institute of Pure and Applied Knowledge. So I P A K dash So what that is, is, um, that's a learning, you know, an online learning community, Um, where uh, Dr. James Lyons Weiler, the guy who created it, he basically, so, you know, he's a former academic. He was a professor at the University of Pittsburgh, but he takes these like great instructors and kind of marries them up with, you know, adults that are looking to further their own education and realize that it's, you know, kind of hard to find. So I kind of started doing some behind the scenes work with him on his IPAC-EDU platform, but then I started teaching this course. So the course that I teach, literature as resistance, which you can find again at ipac-edu.org, is we read a bunch of books like 1984, Brave New World, um, Fahrenheit 451, a Russian novel called We that a lot of people have never heard of, and um, we use those as an interpretive lens to kind of you know figure out what's going on in our own world today. I mean, it's a lot of fun. So, um, so but that is a great site. There are like thirty plus courses there. Everything from the science side, you know, genetics, advanced biology, um, yeah, all kinds of stuff, you know, nutrition. And then, you know, there's my course, there are courses on the constitution. There's all kinds of stuff there. I I urge people to go check that out. And then another thing that I just started doing, uh, this is volunteer work, but um with the organization Children's Health Defense, uh, they just recently opened up a military chapter. Um it launched October 6th. And I kind of do some, some volunteer work with that chapter. So we actually just started a podcast. We've only done two episodes, but uh, if anyone's interested in checking that out, because I think at the very beginning of the show, you mentioned anthrax kind of as an aside. So yeah. we just did a podcast episode with Dr. Meryl Nass and she kind of spoke about um her, what, what she did in terms of, um, kind of trying to resist the whole narrative that was going on with anthrax and the use of the anthrax vaccine by DOD you know, a long time ago. So she was already aware of all of that. Um, and she gave us a really good discussion in our, our latest podcast episode, kind of a then and now look at, here's what happened previously with anthrax. And then you can kind of see the same playbook being used, but to a much larger degree with COVID 20, 25 years later. So that's an interesting episode. People can find that podcast for the military chapter CHD on Rumble. The podcast is called Guardians of Warriors. And you can find it if you go to our page on Rumble, which is um, MIL, M-I-L, in all caps, Children's HD. MIL, Children's HD on Rumble. They can find that podcast.
1: Awesome. Will you also send me the link so I can make sure I put it in the show description?
0: I certainly Um, will. And
1: then just one general question. So you got out, you're not in the military anymore. What did you decide to do? Like, what are you, or can you talk about it? Like you might've gone like secret ninja and you don't want to talk about what you do in real life now. Yeah,
0: right. 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 So, um, so, I mean, I'm still trying to figure that out. Right. But I do quite a bit of work with IPAC edu. Um, there's another company that I do some contract management work with, um, that is just a speech pathology services company. Uh, and, and I, I I don't have any experience in that field but I just do some of the contract management and uh now I do just this unpaid volunteer work but it's it's a lot kind of with um with the military chapter of CHD and then I do a lot of writing on my own at Substack etc so you know still trying to figure out exactly how to how to so I try up. to figure out how to do I try to figure out how to stay in the fight you know and put the information and the message out there but also do it in such a way that kind of, you know, puts food on the table. I'm still still trying to figure out how to optimally do that, you know?
1: Sure. Um it's funny people have asked me often would I ever run for office because I'm I'm obviously I think you can tell I'm pretty passionate about things, but um, I would never run for office. I would be terrible in office. And but I am really good at holding people's feet to the fire and holding people accountable. So I would be way, I'm way better on this side of the the microphone than on the other side and 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 on the camera and all that stuff. Like it I have a face for radio and I'm I'm made to like made to make people uncomfortable. So I love you. Thank you so much for coming on with me. Um, hang tight for just a couple seconds after I stop this and we'll be good to go. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, Please follow Brad, go to the links, check out the different stuff. He's a great guy, incredibly awesome. Like I'm just really excited that he came on with us. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care.
0: I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give
1: me liberty or give me death.